If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to Hello Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia, where we rage against the machine, where we raise our voices against injustice and stand up for justice, where we embrace hope and joy with an optimism for a brighter, more just future. Each week, I'll be dropping knowledge, whether it's a solo episode from me or a hearty discussion with esteemed guests doing great things in spaces and places of politics, entertainment, social justice, and beyond. We get real, baby. I mean, really real. We get honest. We get up close and personal for you. Yes, you. Because everybody is somebody. Before we begin, I want to give a special shout out to my team. Thank you, Sim. Tiffany, Sam, and the team over at Good Juju Studios, Erica England, Pepper Chambers, the hot one, and my social media team. Of the many hats that I wear and the unique positions and opportunities I've had, one of the most enjoyable and favorable life experiences is certainly being an educator. As many of you know, I was a tenured assistant professor at the one and only Cuyahoga Community College, a.k.a. Tri-C, if you're in the Cleveland, Ohio area. And one of my greatest loves, other than my son and my two grandbabies, baby, is being in that classroom. Hello, somebody. Uh, Talking about the history, teaching our young folks and people who are young adjacent about life and where they come from, especially In regards to my teaching of black history, it was so rewarding. And educators certainly are the glue that keeps our young folks, our community connected. Teachers help connect our young people to their imagination, to their dreams and to their passion, or at least they should. And speaking of educators, today I am honored to have Dr. Charles Cole III. He's with us today. And Dr. Cole is an educator who focuses on the advancement of youth, but more specifically, black men. His experiences include serving as a social worker, a director for Teach for America, 
the vice chair of the California Young Democrats, Black Caucus, and at a director's level at various youth-focused nonprofits. Hello and welcome, Dr. Cole. It is certainly a pleasure to have you on the show today. And I was a guest on your show as well. I'm just so glad to have you here with me today, Dr. Charles Cole the third. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, the is, in the, the house. is dead. Junior is got bad the credit. The third. We got to get that right. I, it's a, <laughs> those are two different people. I, I love them. Man, I can't. But, I can't with you. I cannot. <laughs> I had to clean so, up my credit because of that early on. So, yeah. I, I get it. That that credit score matters. <laughs> Doc, I don't know if you knew that. I'm a GMA now. That's what they call us in the 21st century. I think that's dope. Uh, this generation of grandmas look very different from my older generation of grandmamas. So do but we not going to hate. We not going to hate on the generations. Oh, of we ain't. Grandmas oh, listen, that came. Listen. Big mamas. Hey, listen, Big mamas listen, are man. something. It's a whole different time right now. Listen, you you will never, ever catch me saying, you know how young people be saying, I ain't my ancestors. You will catch these hands. Listen, man, if most of the people in our generation had to deal with half the stuff that our ancestors dealt with, they'd fold. They'd yeah, fold. they would. They would, and fold. there would be no social media to complain about it on. You just got to deal with it. So there I it always is. honor the people that came before us. Doc, while we're on that point, because I, I want to get into your bio and have you tell your story. But that point about you know, because I've been in several spaces and places, and you know, the song "Y'all Gonna Make Me Lose My Mind" up in here, yeah. up in here. I've had those moments when mofo's want to say, "Don't talk about the ancestors," or if I see one more. A story about slavery. What you going to do if you see one more? Imagine what it was like to have to live it. And you get a chance to watch it on the screen. And then you got something to say. That is a fallacy. To me, it is some kind of way how we have been brainwashed that people can control our very minds and our movement and our existence if they Try to make us forget whence we came. James Baldwin once said, know from whence you came. If you know from whence you came, there's virtually nowhere you can go. So, Doc, how do you feel about some, in our, and I know we're not homogeneous in our thought processes, and I'm not trying to make us that way, but I am highly offended. Seriously, want to fight you offended when I hear people saying, I don't want to see one more show. I know it's traumatic. So some people may be saying it in that way because it's hard to deal with and always have to go back. But then others are saying it in when I said happy black history month and somebody says black future month. Well, we can't have a future without understanding the past. Don't get me started. So, Doc, how do you feel about that? (laughs) I feel I mean, listen, man, like we keep creating these false dichotomies, right? Like. In Black History Month, talk about anything that that's black. You know what I'm saying? Like who you don't get to stop. I get the sentiment. I get what everybody's trying to do. And we live in a time where everybody is somewhat trying to, quote unquote, control the narrative. And what I tell my young people when we do research, I'm starting to research with you. I'm starting it with who you are and what you want to see change. But what I always tell them is you are entitled to your experiences. You're entitled to your story and to your own feelings and emotions, but you are not entitled to your own facts. And I think that that is what I'm hearing you say. You cannot erase the parts that make you uncomfortable. You got to tell a full story. And I think that sometimes when pendulums swing, listen, when I hear somebody say that Senator Nina Turner ain't left enough or like, I'm just like, what are you, what are you talking like? What is happening? Like, what is where are we at where reality and common sense has gone away? And I think that 
I don't rock with like super extreme right people or super extreme left. I think people make decisions every single day. And part of that stuff, in order to make those great decisions, you have to know where you came from. Now, I will agree and I will push and say our history doesn't start at slavery and you should like be sharing our greatness and things of that, but we can't skip over that piece. You know what I'm saying? I don't want, I wouldn't want to, I don't want Jewish people to skip over the Holocaust. I don't want Asian people to skip over what happened when we was building the railroads and how they got, you know, and the internment camps that we had here. You know what I'm saying? I think this is a part of history. And I think that's part of this whole linchpin thing of everybody making this uh, artificial, not real bag of throwing of the CRT bag. One CRT is not even a thing that like people, is having an issue with because that's not a thing that gets taught in schools, right? That's not a thing that gets taught in elementary schools. What they're talking critical about is critical race theory. I want to say just in case if somebody's critical new. race theory, and 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 but it's but it's basically become a dog whistle of anything that makes the nationalist loving people here feel uncomfortable that our great history might be stained by some stuff. And I think that the same thing I say to teachers, social workers, doctors. Don't hide behind data. Stand next to it. Stand with it. Let it be your catalyst to be better. Say this is where we started, but it ain't got to be where we finished. Like like two things can be true at once, man. Like, listen, there's a lot of inequities. There's a lot of things in this country that's jacked up that we still working on. I just got pulled over a few weeks ago. I got a video. I'll send it to you. It's on the YouTube. And he pulled me over. He couldn't understand that I lived in Chicago and, and, and Oakland. He couldn't understand that I was coming from a book signing and like that I had cars in Oakland and a car here. Like, so he was like, he called the drug dog on me. I'm on the side of the freeway. And what? I asked him, yeah, I recorded the conversation because, you know, we got friends that say they down for us, but we tell them our stories and they sound crazy. So we, after everything was done, I, I said, hey, man, let's just have a talk real quick. Like, because I work with young people and I, I just let me know what set you off, what scared you, because you you had your hand on your gun. You were nervous. I saw you nervous. Right. And he said, your cologne, your cologne smelled real good. And I basically thought you was hiding something. I said, so, so it's like, yo, we getting pulled over and detained for cologne. So there are some issues in this country. And I've also been abroad. <laughs> I've also seen real poverty in real places. Uh, other, and I grew up in poverty. And even in the poverty that I grew up in was light years ahead of this other place. There are things about this country that I love and that I'm going to take advantage of and I'm going to continue to. Everything don't have to be super extreme. But I'm going to make sure that the humanity of my people, the humanity of me, the humanity of people like a Senator Nina Turner. And here's the thing. Senator Nina Turner is a person. She is a human and she has some very strong beliefs that people feel are super leftist. Right. But it's like but but she married a cop or what? what I, I've heard so I remember because when you came on our show, we had to do background and I just follow you. Right. And I'm just like, what is wrong with people like, yo, like. This woman is a human. She is not a statue of some ideals that you can just throw things into. Like if you can't, everybody tries to strip your humanity. It's not, sometimes it's not just your your enemies, right? Sometimes it's people that actually really believe in an idea. You got to let me be a whole human first because I'm going to mess up. I'm going to make mistakes. If Martin Luther King Jr. lived today, Senator Turner, he wouldn't be Dr. King. As soon as them tapes got released on Twitter, it was a wrap. Even with us knowing the outcome, we still would have been like, but wait, (laughs) hold on. You can't have this dream yet, brother. You know what I mean? And I just think that, like, I don't want us to do ourselves any disservices. Let me stop because I'll be I told you I'm long winded. Cut me off. No, it's okay. What you're laying out is so true. I am, even though the people who are joining us today can't see my face, when I just hear things, 
I'm not left enough. What the hell does that mean? I'm standing up for humanity, period. And I love how you are framing it. Yes, I'm a human being. I have my own thoughts and agency, even the t-shirt that you're wearing right now. I talk about agency all the time because I do feel as though the agency of black people is taken away constantly and especially of Uh. black women. And particularly in the political realm, for me being a chocolate sister, especially. So we got all these levels of hell, right? you know, and right. for somebody like me, I think I'm at the, the lowest level of hell sometimes. You're I, in I'm Jacob's Ladder right now, huh? Yeah, I'm in <laughs> Jacob's Ladder for real. And even some African-American folks feel as though it is okay to strip away our agency. In other words, we have to all comport ourselves, put ourselves out to the world in the same way. And if you are in a certain industry, that is even especially so. Don't show emotion and especially the angry black woman trope. You know, they they definitely throw that on me and other, I think, sisters like me who express. I just feel like if the situation calls for some emotion, that's what you're going to get. I won't be clutching no damn pearls. Right. If somebody out there drown, drowning in the ocean, what I look like clutching pearls, you know, I need to jump myself on in there and aggressively yeah. give it all I got to try to save your life. And that's, that is how I, I roll. So it does bother me greatly that a lot of people, as you said, friends and frenemies and enemies kind of feel like they can control certain people and control our thoughts. So your t-shirt says, my love language is agency. What brought you to that? Oh man. So I, I have this thing, right? If my freedom, if my livelihood, if my happiness depends on racist people no longer being racist, broken systems that's been broken for multiple centuries, uh, no tomorrow no longer being broken, or somebody else having some pity on me, then take me out, yo. Like I, I don't. If if I can't be a driver in my own life, I just don't want to play that game. I'm just not that type of victim. But if I can do anything to change what that position may be for myself and for my family, then I'm all in it. And so in age, that's what agency is. And and we was talking about Big Mama and, and our and our ancestors. I'm going to say this for because I like to talk to our people, because this is the one thing when black folks become doctors and all this stuff, like because I was like, you ain't got to call me doctor. And, they, and one of these, these sisters in the Midwest, elders. You, you had elders call you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of these elders, right? Correct. They stopped me. And she said, baby, that's not your degree. That's our degree. So we're going to call you that because you earn it. That belongs to us because you belong to us and you're ours. And I remember when I was doing my dissertation and it it turned into a book that the one and only Elaine Brown told me to write called Beyond Grit and Resilience. And what happened was I got into a big fight with the university. This is going to wrap up my agency thing, I promise. <laughs> and they said, well, you got to write to the, the academy. You got to write. I said, I don't give a damn about the academy. I don't care about these people. These people don't care about me. I ain't even really want to do this degree. I was told by an elder. Dr. Howard Fuller actually is the person who told me to go ahead and do my, my doctorate. And we came to a resolution. And basically, every time I got a chapter approved, I took it to a group of black moms. And whatever they didn't understand or whatever didn't make sense, we either changed it or we took it out because what's the point of this research of us researching ourselves if the people that I care about can't read it and can't connect to it? I don't need to build a new theory and put critical on the end of it and, and build things that are, are unattainable. My job is to take things that have been overcomplicated and make it simple for my people and give them access to it. So agency, it means for what the big mama would tell you. You've heard your granny say this. She didn't say agency, but what she said was she prayed for discernment. Discernment meaning I know what's good for me. 
I know when I'm getting quality. I know when I want, when I deserve something better. And the hardest part of my job in education and social work and healthcare, all the stuff that I do is convincing black people that they deserve better. You deserve better. And this is how you can get to better. Yes. So we created a thing in my reports. We got to do the policy goals because that's what funders want. What's the policy change? But I created this term called agentic. What are the agentic goals? That means that if the system don't change tomorrow, these people still racist tomorrow, all the stuff that's probably going to happen as the sun rises. What am I leaving my people with that they can use right now? So that means that I got to pay them for their time and, and their energy. That means that I got to give them tactics that they can do on their own. So there's this grading system in Oakland. And I'm glad that our stuff passed through and it's sitting at the school board with a 7-0 vote right now and they don't agree on nothing. So I'm glad we're there. But what I'm more proud of is that we trained over three or 4,000 students how to better read their own transcripts for themselves and teach themselves. I'm, I'm proud of, we trained over 500 parents on how to do this and how to check for these things. So agency is the thing that we are born with. It is the thing that we have. It is what separates us from animals. It is the thing that separates us from robots. We are human beings. And in this country, with the rights that we do have right now, as messed up as some of the other stuff is, this is a place where you can start from one place and end up somewhere else. And I want to equip my people to fight. I want to teach as many people to fish as I can with what I got. And I ain't perfect. And I'm going to mess up. And you're going to mess up. And we're going to make mistakes. But the goal ain't perfection. The goal is excellence. And there's a difference between the two. So I'm going to strive for excellence and I'm going to mess up a lot along the way. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to step on somebody's emotion accidentally and not know that I did that. I'm going to alienate somebody else when I was trying to lift up someone else. And I'm going to ask for grace on that, but I got to keep walking in that path. That's what agency is to me. Yeah, true. True that. I'm, I'm amen in everything that you're saying. <laughs> and we are all going to mess up because it's called being human. So unless Absolutely. you can take that out of the equation, it means we're going to mess up. And that's the PG form because I'm thinking of another word. I have messed up and I will mess up again. All right. So there we were cruising through the new open air zoo when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue with its powerful DC turbo engine. Well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You had mentioned a name, and I want to briefly go back to her and pay her her due, and that is Miss Elaine Brown. Absolutely. Doc, you want to say a few words about the one and only Black Panther herself? I think she was the only woman to ever lead the is Black Panther. And she's still here. So Yeah. Oh, she's here, and she is here in a major way. 
the young kids will say she's she's swaggy, yo. She she is uh she's still one of the best dressed people I done seen. She fly everywhere she go, and she talk that fly. You know what I mean? She's from Philly, but you know was. But Oakland was where she kind of settled in with the Black Panthers. And she got all of that swag of Philly and Oakland together. I think she's the reason that those are sister cities at this point. She's just phenomenal. I don't I don't even know if she remembers every single conversation we've had or whatnot. She's a powerful woman that I'm sure a lot of people get time for. But she's given me time and mentorship and guidance. She's the one who slapped me in the back of the head when I was dancing around, maybe writing a book. And she was like, just write it. It's like, yes, ma'am. Uh, she says some other words in there. But again, I, I don't want to be cursing up on your show. But that woman is is is, is royalty to me. And she means a lot to me. me and, and if I don't never talk or see her again, uh, she's already filled me up with so much. And I'm just very grateful for her and just her stand for justice. I remember when like all this work was happening. Right. It was during the Black Lives Matter stuff and all these other terms. Right. Was coming up. But I remember her doing an interview and she said, why y'all making new terms? But what her point was and what I think a lot of people miss for the sensationalism of was that you don't have to rebuild the things that we've already set for you. We need you to build on top of it. And I think sometimes she gets misunderstood, but she is like the women in my family. Right. Like I was I don't have to get used to being around strong black leadership because the matriarchs of my family were very, very strong. So Miss Elaine Brown, uh, the only woman to chair the Black Panther. She is in California. She's a right beast, now. man. She's so dope. She really is. I mean, she definitely epitomizes courage and strength and understanding agency because she definitely understands her agency and she mm-hmm. uses it. So just want to shout her out and send her some love. You certainly through your life experience and thus far, because you have much, many more miles to go and much more life in you. You've been a beacon of light, but your light didn't always shine as brightly as it is shining now. Tell us about your journey. Yeah. So I was born in Maywood, uh, Illinois. It's a West suburb of Chicago. And I was born in 83. And there was a brand new drug that came out that was hot on the streets and cheaper than cocaine. And that thing was crack. And it, it is something that uh, I've been obsessed with because it is it's been just a, a huge part of my life in a bunch of different ways. So we struggled. My, my maternal grandmother would eventually move back to Kentucky. So I would go back and forth between the Chicago area and Paducah, Kentucky, and be with her. And she was basically my mom. Uh, my parents were younger. And it's so crazy, like how hard I might have been on my parents then. But now I'm 38 and I think about my mom. I'm like, damn. She had a 17-year-old at that point and far less resources that I got access to now. But when I was around nine or 10, my grandmother passed away. And I remember when she got sick, I was very sad when she was getting sick. And she she didn't die on this one, but we had this talk and then she had a heart attack and would pass on. But she said, baby, you, you got to let me go. I earned this. I It's something better waiting for me. I, I've been here. I've done my job. I've earned this death. The whole reason I believe in God, the Trinity, any of that stuff is because of that woman. That's the first person I've seen excited because she has done what she felt like she needed to do. And there was something else waiting for her. And, and, and I just share that story. But so she passed away. My dad had his sister in California and we headed out there. And I ended up I would eventually end up in Oakland, California, where I would say I'm from. I've been I was there from 10, 11 to now. Right. And so. I love being in Oakland. I went to the same elementary school as Huey P. Newton. And if you read his book, Revolutionary Suicide, he starts by talking about how bad the Oakland public schools are. So and and that's one of the reasons that they built their own schools. And I just got to be a part of that legacy. 
my parents would get clean in middle school. Very proud of them. And one of the biggest blessings for me is I used to go to NA meetings with my mom. I loved NA meetings. And I think that it has all these things. This is why my company is called Energy Converters, because things that happen to you don't have value until you give it. So people can see this stuff and be like, oh, this is sad. This is blah, blah, blah. But this is a happy story. This is like, I'm really blessed by all these things. One, I got to be from Chicago, Paducah, and, and California, which allowed me to deal with a whole bunch of different type of people across the country. And it, if you know about California, and I love the Bay Area, but they tend to turn their nose up at the Midwest and the South. You know, it, it, they tend to down talk them. And living in Kentucky, like I saw people that worked in like coal mines or uh, did other type of jobs and had to depend on those things. And so in these NA meetings, I saw doctors. I saw all every color, like crack didn't care, yo. Crack was coming and it hurt us the most. It hit us hard, like a ton of bricks and left, but people don't understand the chemical makeup of crack and what it does for $5. You take this hit and it's the most insane high and it only lasts for five or 10 minutes and then it's gone. And on that point, the whole notion of chasing the high. Absolutely. It's never going to be as good as the first one. So you're trying to always catch that again, and that's what gets you. So both of your parents, is that mm-hmm. right? Both of your yep. parents were drug addicts? Yep, yep, yep. And then and, and, and my mother went to rehab first, and we, did, we had family and all that stuff. And uh, I was supposed to go to a foster home. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, I was very excited. It's, I'm writing another book, and I have a whole chapter, like because I would have my own room and a telescope in it. And these people, these are the first people in my life that I saw have two refrigerators. I didn't know why they had two, but that means they had a lot of food. And then my dad at the last minute was like, nah, I'm keeping my family together. I was very mad at him. I get why he did that and why he worked on that. And then my mother got clean. And then she had a very honest talk with my dad. And he didn't believe fat me was greasy at first. And then she went on a date. The dude bought me an earring and my dad saw it. Don't know how. Don't know how he knew that came from somebody. And uh, my dad is an interesting cat, man. But that dude, one thing about that dude is he loves my mom. Me and him don't always get along or see eye to eye. But you say something about Renata Cole to Charles Cole Jr., it's going to be a problem. And uh, and he got clean. He, he got clean. He, he just did it. He just stopped. Don't tell me what the love of a black woman can't do, man. Don't tell me, yo. So from that, I played ball. I did a bunch of stuff. I was going to go to college. And the lie that I told myself, I call it a beautiful lie, was I got to do everything my parents didn't do. So the first thing they didn't do, neither one of them went to college. So I had to figure it out. And I got myself into college. I took these loans that were super predatory, uh, but it didn't matter, right? Because I got to do this or I'm going to die. I'm not built to sell dope. Uh, I'm not built to to do those things. I'm a square man. And uh, it just wasn't the shoes for me. And then put myself through grad school. And I started my career as a social worker and did that for five years because I used to deal with social workers as a kid. But it was always these white cats that didn't understand my family. And there's not a lot of black men in the social work field. And so I was able to get in with this program and shout out to Schwarzenegger because he signed this thing that let me do an MSW exception because I did not want to get a traditional MSW. But this program allowed me to work, take classes and have special supervision to where I could get my MSW and practice in California. And Schwarzenegger signed it. And then from there, I went and did another master's in public administration, nonprofit development at San Francisco State. And I started working with youth. And, you know, I love I did really well there and got hundreds, thousands of black kids in and through college, many without having to take in college debt, even though I was still collecting it for grad school. And then um, ended up doing my doctorate in education at San Francisco State. And my research 
was on black kids that grew up during the crack epidemic that went on to be doctors. And I wanted to build, I don't do research that says I'm smarter than you and here's this thing and here's the right answer. What I wanted to do was capture experiences and navigation tales. I wanted to capture oral histories in the African tradition of people that persevered and captured these moms. And I wanted us to tell those stories. And so there are stories of three black men from different parts of the country and how they navigated that moms and parents trying to figure out can look at. And let me tell you, one of the biggest things and why it's important that we research ourselves. I remember bringing one of the stories back to a group in my, in my program and it has some white folks in it. And there was a story where the boy got beat up in East Oakland and he came back in his mom was like, you better take your ass back outside or you're going to fight me. Like it's going to be a problem. And I remember these white women like recoiling, right? Like being like, Oh, she's a terrible mom. And at that, it all became clear to me why God put me in this program. Because you don't understand the nuance of what that is for a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s in East Oakland. She understands the streets. She knew that it's better that he go out there and get his ass beat again and again. So he would not be picked on for the rest of his life. You know, like there are certain codes and rules or whatnot, and it might not be the way you would do it. But this woman was doing the best she could with what she had. And she did something right because the boy is a doctor now. The boy is a very renowned doctor. But that was the moment where I knew it's dangerous when other people that don't know us and don't know our stories are the people that's reporting on them and telling them. And I think that's why it's really important that you're in that Senate, Senator Nina, because you understand what real people, especially in that Cleveland area, are going through. You know what I'm saying? You under you see people going to work. You see how hard they are and you see that they don't have time for elite people having infighting, but then they get to go to the golf course after hours and get along. You know what I mean? And ain't no laws being passed to help us. So thank yeah, you. I know that's right. Oh, well, thank you. It's certainly an honor to have been able to serve in that capacity and, and doing what I'm doing right now. And you're right. I mean, just hearing you tell that story and right, that story of the mother saying to her son, you got to go back out there. It may be an unconventional way to try to save his life in the long run. And yes, it's not how we want it to be, but that's just how it was. Yeah in that moment and for her to to do something like that to save her son's life and when people don't have cultural context and I'm not just talking about a cultural context from the lens of I'm black you're white right. or I'm you know African American and your ancestors hail from Ireland or England I'm not talking about that kind of context I'm also talking about a cultural context from a social economic lens well a, a cultural context from a regional perspective as well all of those contexts the year that somebody grew up in or came of age in where they live when they were coming of age <laughs> what was happening in the world when they were coming of age what was happening to their immediate Absolutely. family all of those things make us who we are and we don't take enough time to peel back the layers and in terms of can people relate to us sometimes they just cannot it's a black thing I remember I don't know if you remember but there was a saying in our community it's a black thing and you Absolutely. just wouldn't understand absolutely and that is true absolutely not saying that everything within the black experience can only be understood by black people but there's some intricacies even when you're in an environment where there are very few black people and you get that nod or you get that mm-hmm. look like hey i see you it's a absolutely. black thing you wouldn't understand so it's from something as simple as that to something as complex as the story that you just shared about a mother knowing that if her son did not face these demons 
Mm-hmm. No, not right. That's not how we want kids to have to grow up that they got to fight to survive. But the mother knew because she was living in it. Absolutely. And to save her son's life. And, and, and now her son is a doctor. I am so glad that you are in the profession that you are in, which leads yeah. me to this question. So few black men, as you laid out, are in social work. And so few black men are educators. Yeah. Knowing that. Did you have a deep understanding of that? And that is what motivated you to go into it? Did you ever feel at some point, these are not masculine? And I'm, I'm saying that in the context of how masculinity is defined in this patriarchal, ridiculous ass society, the, the white right. supremacy and the patriarchy that has really plagued the entire world. But we, we'll say that for another conversation. Mm-hmm. What was it that gave you both the courage and the energy and the foresight to really go into these two fields? Knowing that there's a need, there's yeah. a need for black men like you in these arenas. It's, it's very selfish. Uh, one is I got to have a career right out of college. And I didn't care if it, y'all said it was feminized or not. I have a career and I specialize in working with kids with special needs. And my aunt, my favorite aunt, her son is on the autism spectrum and he's nonverbal. And so one, it became a free way for me to give resources to my aunt because we are very expensive. Those services are very expensive. Uh, and two, I dealt with foster uh, and family and I had to deal with that as a kid growing up and I didn't see us reflected. But really at the time I was dating this this, this young lady and there was just a, a cool job that where I got to work with kids on the spectrum and I was really good with it. And they asked me if I wanted to be a, a social worker and found that whole Schwarzenegger thing and and they took care of it. And then at that point, being a black man in that work, because there is a lot of our young people that would have what we call behaviors, especially when they hit puberty. Some some sometimes kids on the spectrum, their behaviors mellow out a lot and sometimes they spike. So you can't send a young lady in a certain environments with a, a 14, 15 year old boy on the spectrum whose behaviors are spiking. My first day on the job, this kid was about 5'11" about 250. And his mom, you know, we were having a conversation. She wasn't supposed to say no. It was part of the plan. We would redirect and do this stuff. And she got frustrated and said no. And he hauled off and hit her. And I saw this dude push a refrigerator. So at that point, I became very valuable to the organization because because there wasn't a lot of men, black men specifically, I got more cases than other people did because you can't send certain people into those environments. And so, but being a social worker was such a blessing because it's the inverted career of teaching. It's the cousin career of teaching in the sense that in teaching, you learn about a subject, you learn how to teach it, you try to control your environment, you do your pedagogy and you go. Social work is the opposite. It's you learn a little bit about a lot. So you got to know enough about education, enough about the legal system, enough about cops, enough about the law. You got to be in court. You got to do these things. And you learn that you don't have a lot of power and your job is to truly wrap somebody in services. And so it was easy for me to pivot into healthcare, into education after that. So I, if people are looking for something to try, there's a lot of realms of social work. Once I got into the education thing, it's a selfish again. I didn't have a me. I didn't have somebody that dressed how I dressed, that cared about how they looked, wanted to be fly, grew up poor, but it's like living a good life off of their mind and education. And like, I didn't want to just teach you simple topics. I wanted to teach you that you could live, that you could like, you could enjoy yourself. I don't know where. And there's always this notion that when black people become professionals, we got to be broke. 
And I don't know what that is. That's a lie from from Satan himself. That's from the pits of hell. I don't. Well, I know. I was gonna say my grandmother would say all the time. That's a lie from the pits of hell, that's, baby. It's from the pits. It's, it's from that bottom <laughs> rung of that ladder, of Jacob, bo- that you standing at it. right now. We gotta yes. we gotta debunk that. So once I got in it and I was good, you know, things just started to grow. And I remember watching Jerry Maguire, Senator Turner. You seen Jerry Maguire, Ooh, right? I love that. So, I, I love, love it too. Movie. One of my favorite movies. So remember this part. Remember. Tom Cruise has the number one draft pick and his daddy erases, so he loses him. And then Tom Cruise is like depressed, he drunk, but he got this fly V-neck on, right? He got this custom blazer on. He's about to catch a plane back to his house that's on a beach where his partner is Renee Zellweger and they work together and end up being together. And this is the worst day of his life, Senator Turner. So in my mind, the worst day of this white man's life it's better than the best day I could have ever imagined. But that cat might as well have been Bruce Wayne, Batman, because I didn't see sports agents that looked like me at that time. So I didn't even pursue it. I would have loved to have had that. So I want to get in front of as many of us and as many of little me's as I can, just as an option, just as something that you can see that, you know, just so you know, is real, just so you know, you can do it. So when somebody, when a little girl sees Senator Nina Turner and they're like, wait a second, hold on. Like this woman gets to speak her mind, be her. She wear fly glasses every time she gets to tell these white folks about themselves or whatnot. And she gets to live in between DC and in Cleveland and do it. And she gets to be on planes. You know how bad I, I, the way I got to Oakland was on a Greyhound. You know how long it takes to get to Oakland? on It takes five plus days. Okay, so so again, right, it's all about perspective. And I always had that motivation. So in education, it was just a gateway for me that has allowed me to do a lot of things. And my hard work has been able to afford a lot of things for a lot of people in my community and not just for me. And so when I do a re- when I do research, I command money that's going to pay the kids or the families or the end users of education is what I call them. I serve the end users of education and that's in this order that students, their parents and then their community and then you got teachers and administrators but it's very important that you have a ranking system because you will get lost in some of this and guess what uh Senator Turner, I also worked for the Democratic Party. I was the vice chair of the Black Young Dems of California for a few years. I co-founded Black Young Dems Oakland and Black Young Dems San Francisco. And what turned me off to the party, I'm still technically a Democrat, but what turned me off is every time, even as VP, when I would try to bring up Black issues, it was always a problem. But if we wanted to talk about technology, if we wanted to talk about tech bros, their issues always superseded. And I always was like, okay, we'll do yours. But when is our turn? When is it our turn? When is it our turn? And our turn will never come around. And I had to leave that post because I'm like, I got to go do something that's really going to help black people. You know, people keep asking me if I'm going to run for something. I say, absolutely not. And uh, <laughs> I like doing my work in education. And I sit on the UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital Board in the Bay Area. And we oversee about $4 billion in healthcare stuff. So part of the reason that I joined that, Senator Turner, was because I grew up a few blocks from this hospital and never went to it. Didn't feel like that hospital was for me. Black folks have an aversion to healthcare and, and hospitals in that way. And, uh, you know, so one of those things is I just want my people to be healthy. I want us to have a healthy relationship, you know, with going to the doctor and stuff. I'm grown. I got degrees. I got a little bit of, of bread. I ain't balling. But and I it, it still take a lot for me to go to the doctor, my dang self. Right. So, right. I mean, first of all, I think there's some cultural complexities to men, especially black men going to the doctor, but there's mm-hmm. economic complexities too. That's Absolutely. why I fight so hard for universal health care. And I will say about the Democratic Party, 
we have to be allies to each other on the causes of humanity. So I understand exactly where you are coming yeah. from. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Now the energy converters. Yes. Let's let's talk about your organization because you were talking about the ordering and how students and parents are at the top of the ordering or the hierarchy, if you will. You laser focus in on them and their needs first. What made you create that organization? Yeah. I know it's a tool and you're using your tools. You're using really what you've been blessed through your life experience. Absolutely. I know you aren't always feeling blessed throughout your life. But all of that came to order your steps. Absolutely. I want to say it that way and make you who you are right now. So you created an organization called Energy Converters. Mm -hmm. uh, both a nonprofit and an LLC, uh, two different things. And basically, I wrote a thing for Huffington Post a long time ago when Miss Ariana Huffington was still there and it kind of blew up. But it was basically around me putting into perspective my journey and like, how that has guided things and how it's been a blessing for me. And basically what I'd like to teach young people is we don't have to wallow. We can acknowledge that things are not where they need to be, but what are we going to do about it? I'm not hopeless. I'm not a victim and you don't need to be one either. That don't mean we don't push systems. We're going to push systems, but we also going to make sure you got the things and you know how to fend for yourself because I would see educators and they thought they were doing well. Like, here's another story because I'm a story guy was like I had this young staff and I would do this activity with young people when we when, when I work for somebody else. And basically we would give them these papers at the beginning of the year and we tell them to put them in somewhere safe because at some point we're going to ask for them and you're going to have to be able to get it by the next day. And the reason I did that is because when I was in college, financial aid would lose my paperwork every single year. It was like a thing. And going into the financial aid office, if you ain't got a relationships, it can be a really tough place, especially in, yeah. with the population I work with. So there was this white young lady that worked there and I had her do the assignment. I was a supervisor and the kids didn't do what they need to do. And she just was like, well, they've had trauma and they've had this. And I said, listen, listen, listen. I know that you want to feel good right now that you've given these young people a break. Like, I know that you want to feel like you're a part of this group or whatever, but I'm preparing them for what's about to come. Like, there's going to be fights that they're going to have. They're cute kids now with a story that you know and you care about. But cute kids turn into like adults outside of this space uh, and they're going to be left to their whim and they're not going to get no second chances. So I'm trying to prepare them for the things that might come. And that's when I realized I can just be 
mad at systems. I can complain about somebody else's company. I can complain about what the government doing or ain't doing, what the schools are doing or ain't doing. Or I can start my own thing and put my money where my mouth is. And so I wanted to build an organization that would prepare young people for the journeys ahead of them and teach them how to find the lesson in everything that they do. And here are the three things, and you do this very well, Senator. We have three things around agency that if you remember these things, you'll be okay. Awareness, navigation, and duty. And you do this perfectly. One, I'm gonna make you aware of the system. I'm gonna tell you where, where it ain't fair, what is fair. I'm gonna show you other examples so you know that there's other things out there, that there's better stuff and all that. Two, even though we talk about these utopias and we think about them and you talk about them a lot around what we could do if we had universal health care, if we actually got rid of like college debt for people, but the young people that we have now, they are still responsible of navigating things as they are today. So how do we make sure that they're OK? How do we make sure that they're not at the whim of somebody else, you know, needing to be generous that day or whatnot? So how do I help you navigate? And then the final part is now duty. Now that you know better, how do you do better? Right. And so when I was in high school, I learned how to read my own transcript because I had to figure out college on my own because both my parents didn't go and I played ball. But once I learned how to read my transcript, then it's like, hey, somebody else on the team. Hey, bring, hey, man, bring your report card over here, too. I'm, I'm, a, I'm just going through and seeing how my classes and filling out this stuff. This is how you do this. You know how to do this or whatnot. Like our young people go out and make changes on their own. You know what I mean? Like now that they know better, they're activated to go do better. And that's the that's the basis of what we do is awareness, navigation and duty. So we do these scientific reports. We follow scientific. You know, uh, we follow a method, a methodology. We follow these rules. It always centers and starts with those young people around what they like in their community and school and what they want to see changed. We get their stories. They blog about it. We got a whole online magazine that has people have used for PDs across the country. It's over 100 articles. And then, like I said, you entitled to your own experiences and your own your own feelings, but you're not entitled to your own facts. So then we start looking. What are the literacy rates here? What does this look like versus the rest of the country? Why is it that black folks are at the bottom of this, this and this, you know, and all these other places? Right. Like what is what does it mean to have a black educator? What does the research and the data say? So now these young people are looking at these stats, not just as numbers, but, oh, these people are talking about me. Wait a second. They're making plans around me. You know, and another interesting thing, I've lived an interesting life. You remember Ebonics? You remember that whole thing? Oh, yes. I went to Westlake Junior High School. I was one of the kids, a part of the study. And I remember they would pull us out of class to talk about it and stuff like that. And then I think Saturday Night Live lampooned it. Like they didn't they didn't sell it good to the public. They didn't really they, like yeah. AV is now in a different place and it's talked about differently. But at the time, Ebonics became a joke. Right. And so yeah. but they just abandoned us. Like, so we had all this time we missed in class and nobody gave us no money. Like now we also behind in this other thing. And oh yeah, there's this joke thing. Y'all just get to leave. Like that's what we doing. So anytime I do research, even if it don't go well, even if our stuff gets rejected, like you at least coming out with your time being paid for and you being valued and you got some tools that you can use because Dr. Cole ain't going to be around. Like, I don't want any young person depending on me. And if you're an educator, you're not trying to build young people to be dependent on you. You want them to be independent, free thinkers. I never tell my kids what to think. I just give them every side of stuff. So, OK, we'll we'll go through a political thing. Senator Turner put this out. Well, what are, what do her supporters say? And then what do her opponents say? Is there an opponent in the Senate that has something to say? Grab all of that stuff. 
I'm not going to tell you what to think. Read these things. Let's go read some history. Now, where are you landing? Tell me why you think that. And I love when kids end up on different sides of it and have to defend it. Critical thinking skills. I mean, you yeah, help and I, and develop I, critical thinking skills. And, and I debated in high school. Uh, I was forced because I kept getting kicked out of class, uh, my history class, because I would always argue. And my parents, my history teacher, who was a debate coach, and my basketball coach conspired against me. And they said... You, if you got to go to this debate camp, you have to go. It was at UC Davis. And I went and I got 13th place and I didn't want to go, but they said I couldn't play basketball if I didn't. I got 13th place in a camp. I took my medal and I chucked it because who wants 13th place? And I came back, got a new partner, and then I won the whole tournament and never did it again. But what I learned in it is that it trains you to always look at multiple sides of an argument because the way debate seasons work is you get a topic at the beginning, but you don't know if you're going to be the affirmative or the negative. And so you have to do all this research and data around it uh, and then make an argument, you know, at the drop of a hat. Uh, the secret in debate, though, y'all, is everything leads to nuclear war and people got to just prove it. But anyway, I just say all that to say energy converters is an amalgamation of my grandmothers, of how I was born, of, you know, having to be the new kid everywhere I went, having to depend on me, um, not having strong roots anywhere. Home is wherever my backpack is and wherever I'm at at the moment. And just knowing that God has put me on here, like God puts his soldiers through certain things so you can testify about it and actually add some sense to it. And you can do sense making like Ozetta and Ernestine, who could have never dreamed that I'd be on the Come on, man. I'm in a meeting with Senator Nina Turner, like talking about my life. Like these were simple women, yo. Like my grandmama still did like sun tea that we had to wait all day for. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like we lived in the projects in Paducah, right? Like their sacrifice could not be in vain. And so whatever I do is to honor those women and whatever mistake I make, y'all blame that on me. But anything good that comes from me, it's them women. It's because of them. I would say, I mean, you said simple, and there's nothing wrong with simple. Simple and extraordinary, simple. the way that you're defining and describing them, and they are very much a part of who you are today and who you will be in the future because you carry them with you. Their spirit is with you, too. And I strive for simple. I like simple. It's beautiful. I know that's right. Don't, don't make this thing too complicated. In my life. Too much, too complicated. I, I don't like not knowing where I'm going to live. I don't like like having to be in a new... I don't like instability. I grew up homeless. I like simple. I like to know what's coming. I like to be prepared. And living in big sense. cities, I appreciate slowness now. Like I appreciate the diner that you go in in the Midwest and they're not serving you until you greet them. And they're like, it's going to take 30 minutes for it to come out because ain't nothing more important than you getting this meal and being with, in, in community with another human right now. I've lived in a big, fast bubbling places, man. I'm, I like simple. I will retire somewhere simple. I know. Absolutely. That's right. Simple is beautiful. There is a gentleman by the name of Mr. Is it Dirk? Dirk Tillerson, Dirk. yes. Dirk Tillerson. Oh, yeah. You did some, okay, she done did some research. I love it. Can you talk a little bit about him and Absolutely. how his support helped develop you to the leader you are today? Yeah, so last year was a tough year. I lost 11 people. Uh, not everything was COVID-related. It was just a tough year. And I, I, I'm i used to losing people. Like, in, in the work that I do, especially with Black boys, one of my best friends was murdered in between eighth and ninth grade selling dope. And then like a few other friends, one tried to get out the game. He was killed. He had just had a daughter. If you read the book, I talk about them. And then last year reminded me of those times, right? Where I was just losing people to violence and stuff. And Dirk is somebody who had 
ties in New York and Oakland, and he was about black education. And he didn't care about the method. He didn't care if it was a traditional school, a charter school, private school, whatever. He believed that black parents should be sovereign over how they want to educate their kids. Like if you got the bread to put your kid in a private school, ain't nobody, don't nobody need to shame you for that. If, if you choose that charter school, you want to choose that other school down the block, that's your business. And he fought for that. And he tapped into me because my mother had a record, like I told you, and I wanted to go to the school, Berkeley High. It was designed by UC Berkeley. It's where all the, the people with money in the church sent their kids. It was a public school, but I lived in Oakland and she applied for an interdistrict transfer and she got denied. But she was reminded, ma'am, you have a record. If we find out that like you're committing fraud to get your kid in X school, you go to jail. And I remember my mom like crying over that. I don't even think she ever knows that I saw her. And so the next day I was like, mom, I don't want to, I don't even want to go to that school. I want to go to the school across the street. Like that's where I want to go. That's where, you know, it's a smaller school. I can get on the basketball team. Whoa, 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 right. I just didn't want her to have that pressure because I think she would have took that risk for me. And Dirk sure. is somebody who fought to make sure that that was a reality for parents. And so when me and him met up in Oakland, he's one of my advisory board members for Energy Converters. We co-founded Families in Action and Education in Oakland. We co-founded another thing called State of Black Education. And he just was a good mentor. Like he was a very calm guy. I was the, I was the Senator Turner of like that group in the sense of I'm ready for all the smoke. I ain't scared of none of you people. What's going to happen? Because again, in our community, some things are worse than death. Some things are worse than you yeah, ass beat. And also, I'm just not scared of old white ladies at like school board meetings. I don't understand this. Like, these are very controlled environments. I think this is growing up in hoods have helped me with this. And I'm not a hood dude, but and I think that's part of why you are how you are on the center floor. You're like, this is the safest place. What they going to do? Like, I'm going to say this. What's going to happen? So, you know, um, and then Dirk, during this time, home invasions have risen in Oakland. Crime has changed a lot in Oakland. We used to put a map out every year about the murders. And Oakland's not that big of a city. A lot of people don't realize how small Oakland is. So sure. the, the murders per capita are a lot. But it come down for a little bit. And then the COVID hit. And then people got hungry. Oakland's also one of the most expensive places to live in the world. Uh, and it's growing because they said it wasn't valuable when it was a black city, right? Even though it's of 70 course. degrees all year, it's right by the water. And then white of people course. want their spot back. So, you know, now it started to gentrify and, you know, somebody ran up in his house, shot his wife and shot him and he died. And if you knew dirt, he would have just been like, man, take what you need and get up out of here, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? It just didn't need to happen. He was such a crusader for young people. He was such a crusader and his story itself. He became a lawyer, but his story is not very different from mine. And it's like East Coast poverty and like living in cars and a whole bunch of stuff. He didn't often share. And I used to push him to share his story more because it's important. I think for the people that I tend to care about, like I talk to church communities a lot. Like I, t- I talk to, you know, black folks in our in our communities a bunch. Right. And they need to be able to relate to you. They got to be able to feel you before they can really hear you. But he just was a, a phenomenal guy. And I miss him every day. And every presentation I give around education, I give honor to him as we expand energy converters. You know, I'm always honoring him and I'm going to name some type of scholarship or something after him. But uh, I'm very blessed to have had him in my life. And I hope he is getting to sit somewhere on high and and watch a leaf from his tree, you know, continue to carry on some of the things uh, that we started. And hopefully he's not cringing too much by even some of my missteps in this uh, in this conversation. You know, and I just oh, think no. um, well, we're not going to focus on that. I'm well, sure I just, but, that, you know, it's yeah. It's yeah, okay. I mean, he was an amazing guy. And he didn't deserve that. 
He didn't. He we, didn't. We got to put that out there. This kind of nonsense. I get it that people are desperate at times, hungry at times. I know what it's like to be hungry. You know, they call it food insecure. No, I just flat out didn't have enough food. It's hungry. Don't, right, don't, don't right. Just, we didn't have like, a fancy word for it. Right, it's hungry. Right. Don't, don't, don't fancy. Right. Don't fancy it up. Don't doctor it up. No, just didn't have enough food to eat. Whatever it is, I still believe that unless your life is in danger, you don't have a reason to do what they did to to him and his wife. It, it just is it's nonsense to me. It's, it's unacceptable. It's, it's crazy. It's unacceptable. I mean, it's, it's totally unacceptable. I know many a poor people, many a desperate person, and they never invaded anybody's home. They never knocked anybody over the right. head. And the shit is unacceptable. So that kind mm, of stuff just gets, makes my blood boil that you think you can take other people's stuff. You cannot. And you should not be doing that as hard as times are, especially doing it to individuals in that particular way it just it boggles my mind it bothers me greatly i appreciate that and to and what he would have said to honor him properly yeah. I, I broke down one time and i was on stage in india and i hate breaking i don't like doing it but I, I was on stage and it was right after it happened and i was doing this tribute and uh the a black hands was on tour and i broke down talking about him because he was integral in that but what he would have said was if that boy had had a good education with educators that loved him, with people around him that showed him other ways and economic opportunities uh, and a good job and all these other things that, you know, we're supposed to be able to provide in this society. This probably wouldn't have happened. That's who Dirk was. He, he always saw this other side, even when it were things that targeted him. I, I remember something else had gotten stolen from him and, and I was heated. I was the one that was mad. And he was just like, but I'll get it back. It's okay. Like we're going to be all right. Like it's good. Yeah. Let's look at it from this person's perspective. And, and he it's, loved Nipsey Hussle. And I don't know that Nipsey oh, Hussle yeah. really, really, it changed him a little bit. And it's weird. Cause Dirk was an older cat. Like he's not a rap dude. Like I'm the rap cat, like, sure. but it, it touched him in a different way. And that's when he started to like finally open up a little bit more about who he was. And, and he loved that story of how Nipsey would go back to his place and do these things and stuff. So it, I hate, that he had a similar, you know what I'm saying? That somebody in your own yeah. neighborhood that's fighting for you. Right. And, that, and that's and that's what happened. So Means thank you for letting fate. me thank you for that. Cause I wasn't I wouldn't have said it. So I appreciate you giving me that opportunity. Yeah. No, I'm glad I'm glad you did. And we need people in the world like Dirk feeling the way that he does. And we need people like me feeling the way that I do too. I agree with everything you just said that he would have said all of that. Two things can be true. At mm. once, he still didn't deserve that. It's just pretty sad. Some sad commentary. So two quotes. Uh, I always start the show with quotes and end the show with quotes, but we dived right in. So I want I know, to I'm sorry. Uh, say the two. No, you don't have to <laughs> it's apologize. <laughs> it's not your fault. It's beautiful. So George Washington Carver, education is the key to unlock the golden door of freedom. We know that George Washington Carver was an inventor. Hello, somebody. From the ways to use the peanut, just uh, an extraordinary, extraordinary man. And then from the one and only W.E.B. Du Bois, education must not simply teach work. And I think this is the point that you're making, Doc. He said education must not simply teach work. It must teach life. And that is what you are doing in your capacity as the leader, the creator of energy converters and everything else that you touch and do to lift so many people, starting with our babies and then their parents and then everybody else is below that. 
I thank God for you and the journey that you're on and for all that you had to endure to be molded into the young man that you are right at this moment. And the best is yet to come. You are just at your sunrise, baby, very much in the sunrise and watch our world. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm so grateful for you and, you know, not nervous, but, you know, you want to you never know if you get to talk to somebody again. So you just want to get as much in there and, and, and share that moment. So thank you for having this moment with me and anything I can do to be supportive of you. And uh, if we're doing quotes, I'll, I'll, this is one thing that Rosetta Hooper, uh, my maternal grandmother would say, she would say, baby, you are, you're an apple seed and apple seeds don't have to try to grow and bear fruit. They just do. And it just nourishes other people. So just be, you being is enough. But then she would also say, but there, everybody's not apple seeds and it's okay. Some people are farmers and their job is to find fertile soil, put the right seeds together, give it light, give it water and feed it. Everybody got a part and a role to play, regardless of your race, your color, where you come from. Some people are seeds, you got to let them shine and bear fruit. But there are some other people, you know, that can help spread those seeds out so they can do the best job they can. So I'm working hard to be both seed and farmer. And I think that uh, Senator Turner, you are living in both. And I I'm so I really want you to just get your flowers. So I think the way we started this conversation about Miss Elaine Brown, who was a legend or an Angela Davis. They are. Who is, are. (laughs) But, and and people don't see themselves, right? You don't, nobody is seeing themselves as history as it's happening. They just live it. But you're that person. You have stood up for us. You have stood up, you know, you have, you have meant what you said and you have said what you meant. You have taken pushback and blowback. And, you know, and I think you have also told us that it's okay. We don't have to agree on every single thing. Like that's, that's life. You just have so much grace. And, and, and poise in the way that you do it. And, and I feel like you're going to be the blueprint for somebody else. Everything from the glasses on down to the, to, to the way you walk. And that was one of the biggest findings in my, in my last report around Black students, Black-led charter schools from the voices of Black students. And one of the girls said about her Black woman CEO was that I watch how this woman walks, how she talks. Uh, I never even thought about a career in education, but she just commands rooms and I want what she has. And I have a leader in that every day. And you are that for somebody. So thank you. Thank you. Wow. You got me all choked up here. I'm tearing up a little bit. It's a vibe. I do (laughs) think everybody has a vibe. Our vibe is just something about it. It's spiritual. It's a vibe. So I received that. I'm just going to say thank you. I absolutely, absolutely receive that. Doc, how can people find you? How can they purchase your book? I know there's a documentary, all kinds of good things. Absolutely. There is at charlescodethird.com, charlescodeii.com. You can find like all my work, my books, the clothes, where I'm going to be talking at, how to book me if you want. Energy converters, and we spell converters different. Instead of ERS, it's ORS because we wanted to own the the. Um, the whole thing. So energyconverters.org, you can kind of kind of come find our work. And also you can hear me running my mouth every Sunday night, 9 p.m. Eastern uh, on Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff with eight black hands. And now on Twitter, that's at eight black hands one where Senator Turner has been a guest. And then I started another show that's about black and brown folks kind of coming together and what that could look like. And that's called Common Grounds of Self-Determination. We're going to change the name soon, but that we, we started that kind of 
black people working on themselves and brown people working on themselves. And then when we come together. What could that mean? And I and I'd be remiss if I didn't name those brothers. And that's Friday. I'm on Twitter at C Cole I I I. That's at C C O L E I I I. And uh, and I'm not. I'm just not hard to find. And and any anything I can do. I want to be on the record saying this. You need me to show up somewhere. You need me to fly somewhere. You need me to talk somewhere. You need me to shut up. You need me to do whatever. Um, I am in service. You are the boss. I have no problem submitting to the will of an amazing, strong black woman. Um, and, you know, just keep doing your thing, man. Thanks, Doc. I appreciate you. Loving loving you so very much. You are the absolute best. So thank you so much for being on this Hello Somebody journey because everybody is somebody. Hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. Coming. The pain is numbing. Try to shoot for the stars if you gon' aim for something. Embrace the love for your brother and sister. Unity's the missing brush. We need to puzzle this picture. Let's paint it up, frame it up for the world to see. Hang the hatred up. Enough is enough is enough. Making changes on us. In Turner, her voice is the truth. Her wise words inspire the youth to keep their eyes on the roof. It's the end. Never give up. Keep conquering goals. To the eye, intelligence, silver, wisdom is gold. Back to the end, now is your time. Stay firm, don't fold. To the A, all you need is the three bones. That's what Granny said. Now I'ma make sure these words from Granny spread. For all of here, just give her your ear. She can take you to the promised land, I swear. World peace is what they fear. From Queens to Cleveland, Ohio, we here. Famous. Hello Somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.